This week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast is brought to you by the patrons of the Rural Woman Podcast. This amazing group of individuals contribute financially to the Rural Woman Podcast to ensure the stories of women in agriculture hit your earbuds each and every week. Want to join them in supporting the stories of women in agriculture while getting access to extended episodes, patron-only episodes, and other great perks? Head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to learn more about how you can become a patron through Patreon. Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast, a platform for women in agriculture, ranching, homesteading, and more to share their stories. I'm your host, Caitlin Dubin. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. This week, you'll meet Dr. Natasha Kutrick. Dr. Kutrick grew up on a farm in northeastern Alberta. The youngest of four children, she was always highly competitive with her older siblings, and it was no surprise when she started her post-secondary career at the University of Alberta in the College of Agriculture. Natasha obtained her Doctor of Veterinary Medicine degree from Western College of Veterinary Medicine in 2014. Since graduating, she has worked in mixed or large animal practices in New Zealand, the United Kingdom, and Canada, with her current role being a veterinarian consultant with Feedlot Health Management Services in Okotoks. Outside of their daytime jobs, Natasha and her husband run a small cow-calf herd with a few horses, cats, dogs, and recently honeybees. I am very excited to get back to sharing all brand new episodes with you. We took a break over Harvest 2021, but we are officially done. The grain is in the bin and I am back at work sharing the stories of women in agriculture with you all. It's been a while since I've shared a listener review on the intro of the podcast, but I want to get back into the habit of doing it because You guys have some really nice things to say, and I would like to share them with everyone else. This week's listener review is from Dawn Dish Soap via Apple Podcasts in the U.S. This five-star rating and review says, Dear Caitlin Dubin, I have been listening to your podcast since early April under quarantine and doing my college homework online. I enjoy each person you talk to on your podcast. My favorite episodes in the podcast have been when you're talking to women about regenerative soil health in agriculture. And when I was back home in May, I really enjoyed listening to the podcast with Rachel Barrett from Haver, Montana. I also love supporting the Wild Rose Farmer website and the really cute shirts you have in your store. I got an egg support egg shirt for me and my mother and recently purchased an I Am Your Rancher and Team Sheep tank top. I am so happy to wear them with pride. Finally, I also enjoy being part of the Rural Women podcast community as well. Please keep doing what you're doing and telling everyone's story of agriculture. Thank you. Well, Dawn Dish Soap, thank you so much for all of the ways that you support the show, including leaving an Apple review. This is one of the best ways that you can support the show without using finances behind it. This helps the Rural Woman podcast get into more ears of people in agriculture and people outside of agriculture that just want to learn more about what the amazing women in agriculture are doing. 
So if you have an Apple product and you would be so kind to leave a rating and review, I would be much appreciative. I also want to take a minute to welcome the newest patrons of the Rural Woman podcast. Welcome to Karen S., Melissa M., Kelly B., and Christina R. Thank you all so much for joining me over on Patreon in supporting the stories of women in agriculture through the Rural Woman podcast. And also want to give a big thank you to the current patrons, Laura L. and Amanda G., for bumping up your tears. Your financial support makes this show possible, and I could not do it without any of you. So if you're looking to support the show in a financial way, you can head on over to patreon.com slash the World Woman podcast and learn more about how you can become a patron through Patreon. Without further ado, my friends, let's get to this week's episode with Dr. Natasha Kutrick. Dr. Natasha, how are you? Hi, Caitlin. I'm very well. How are you? I'm doing very well. I like any opportunity to have a kick-ass woman on the podcast that has doctor in front of their name. So I'm very, very excited to get to talk to you today. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Natasha, for our listeners who are unfamiliar with you, give us your background. How did you get your start in agriculture? For sure. So I'm a veterinarian that now specializes in beef cattle. But long before I had this job, I was um, raised on my family's, oh, fourth generation cattle farm in northern Alberta. So I feel like most farm kids on a cattle farm, I was involved in 4-H and the day-to-day operations. So that's kind of where my passion was ignited. And then from there, I kind of had a roundabout way. I did mixed animal practice and small animal work and then finally ended up where I always wanted to be, which was specializing in beef cattle. So when was it, do you think, in your life as a farm kid that you decided that you wanted to do animal veterinary medicine? Yeah. So I guess I wasn't always raised on a farm. My father, before becoming a full-time cattle farmer, he was also an RCMP, a police officer in Canada. So we moved around quite a bit and I got to experience the city living. And while we were living in the cities, my parents always motivated, bribed, I don't know what the correct word was, but that someday we'd move back to the family farm that my grandparents used to have. And then we could have all the animals, the dogs, the horses, the cows, and that's always the dream. And when we did finally move back to the farm, it was so much better than we would have imagined, me and my sister. And that's when I just fell in love with everything. Being outside every day, helping my dad. So I can't remember. I think it precedes my memory. (laughs) But specifically, actually, I'll say about a vet is I was very, very fortunate that the veterinarian my dad used for the cows was a woman. And she was just fantastic. And I remember thinking when things would go sideways on the farm and there was something where my father, who I thought could do anything and everything, couldn't, he'd phone up this lady and she'd show up with her stethoscope and her toolbox and get the job done. And that's just like, oh, I want to be that. (laughs) And then it went from there. That is so great. Well, and a few things I want to unpack here. Absolutely 100%. The best bribe your parents could have ever told you was when we moved back to the farm, you guys could have whatever animals or critters you wanted. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, and it worked. (laughs) Right? I would be packing up my suitcase, I tell you what. (laughs) (laughs) Because, yeah, 
before that, me and my sister, we would, um, we'd pretend the other one was an animal. So like on one day I would be the dog and she'd lead me around by a skipping rope. And the next day she would be a cat because we weren't allowed to have any animals. So we were just so excited to actually have the real thing instead of each other. Oh my gosh. (laughs) That is so sweet. And I probably could have been your third sister because that's definitely what my cousins and I did growing up. And it was so much fun to play pretend of all of the critters and all of the things. Yep, I agree. Awesome. Second note that I wrote down here, because if you don't know or the listeners don't know, typically when I kind of form an interview, I have my general overall questions, but typically like when my guests are talking, I'm in the background, like writing down a hundred more questions or notes or comments. So I don't forget them. And my next one here was, I just want to say thank you for you saying that your dad was an RCMP officer, which is a form of police officer in Canada, because we do have a lot of American friends with us here today, Natasha, who might be like, what the heck is an RCMP officer? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And I've, I've learned that myself the hard way, um, knowing that not everyone knows that. So yeah, the the guys, the Mounties, the red suit and the big hat. <laughs> right. Yeah. And just to let everybody know, like, that's not what all of the police officers in Canada look like. Only the special ones get the big hat and the red coat. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's exactly. Yeah. Usually rural and small town police are yes. serviced by the RCMP rather than the cities. Yes. Have their sure. own municipal police. Well, back on track now with like actual okay. rural <laughs> questions. <laughs> yes. Take us back and like take us through your experience with veterinary school. Were you one of many women in your class or were there fewer women in the class? Oh, ah, yes. So majority are women. And I think this was true to where I went to vet school in Saskatchewan. But I think it's worldwide. Uh, Majority of vet students are female. So there was 70 females and eight males. Wow. (laughs) I was very fortunate to have uh, my boyfriend at the time, but ladies looking for love in vet school, chickens are slim. (laughs) (laughs) And would you say that the majority of the women, like, do they typically choose to be a small animal vet or did they take the path to be a large animal vet? Yeah, so it is interesting. Um, My direct peer group, of course, you kind of gravitate to people like yourself. So I had a very good core group, about 10 friends that all wanted to do mixed animal, large animal medicine, and they're still doing that as of today. But majority of graduates, regardless of sex, do go into small animal practice. That's interesting. And well, like you said, for when you were growing up, you saw this woman come out and do the jobs that your father wasn't doing or needed help with and all that (laughs) kind of stuff. So I think that's really interesting and kind of a powerful statement as a young Mm -hmm. person to see that, to see that a woman can actually handle these big animals and these situations, no matter what their sex is. Exactly. Yeah. She always had so much confidence and poise and professionalism. It was just It's amazing. I still thank her to this day. (laughs) Yeah, that's so great. Well, and I'm even thinking of the animal vet that we have. And, you know, I take my sweet chocolate lab, Charlie, she goes to a mixed animal vet clinic and Dr. Chris Martin, shout out to the vet. in Fort McLeod. But uh, I absolutely love her. And she just like her demeanor, I think like I look at the large animal vets, you know, not hating on the males, but just like her 
compassion and all of those things mixed with her veterinary practice. Like, I just think that makes her a freaking rock star. Yeah. And I often say this, something I'm so passionate about is animal handling, even if it's a small or large animal, they're, they're often mirrors of our own energy, right? So trying to put yourself in a position where you can handle them in a relaxed and calming way is so powerful and difficult to do that. But they, um, they know so much more about what we're feeling inside than <laughs> people often do. Yeah, they're absolutely. such good readers. Yes, so true. Yep. <laughs> so very true. So you graduated veterinary school back in 2014, and then you went on some pretty cool adventures around the world. Can you tell us more about your vet practicing over in New Zealand and the UK? Yes. So, like I said, I always wanted to specialize in beef cattle. That's where my heart was. And it's taken me a few years to get comfortable admitting this story. But when I was in vet school, I applied for a job at my dream practice, which I did not get. And that dream practice is actually right now where I am. So I eventually ended up there. But when I didn't get the job, I was kind of like defeated, didn't know what I wanted to do. So that's what really sparked my my travel. <laughs> so when I got the rejection, I was like, all right, I'm going to go on an adventure. And uh, I picked the farthest place away, which was New Zealand. And I went there for two years and did dairy medicine, which was, yeah, probably one of my favorite experiences to date. I wouldn't trade it for anything. So although I was kind of feeling rejected at the time, it worked out for the best. And I'm so happy it did. Yeah, no doubt. Well, and to go to a place like New Zealand right out of, you know, vet school, like what a cool experience and like just an amazing opportunity. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Looking back, I'm like, I don't know how I had the confidence at the time to do that, but it was so worth it. <laughs> right, for sure. And then what were you doing in the UK? Yeah, so after New Zealand, I did dairy practice and I came back to Canada a bit for three years. I did mixed animal practice in, oh, the special areas for those not from Alberta, it's very, very sparsely populated area of the province with lots of cows. And after that, I went to the to the UK as a locum. So just in filling in leave positions and I was at a farm animal practice. So I did dairy, beef, pigs, sheep, and actually quite a few goats. And for those that don't know, there's actually a crisis in the world right now with veterinarians and even more so large animal veterinarians. So that's how I've had such an easy time traveling is the whole world is desperate for large animal veterinarians. So if anyone wants to become one, there's endless opportunities. I just throw my resume out into the internet and then land myself a job. Yeah. Can you explain to us what the crisis is for large animal vets? Yeah. So see, there's currently a shortage of all veterinarians, specifically large animal veterinarians. There's lots of good studies on why, but from my personal experience, it can be physically demanding. You're often in areas rural, isolated, so outside of, you know, major amenities. Um, and they're just not, there's not enough veterinarians coming through the pipeline through the academic institutions. Right. Well, and from what I know about veterinary school and veterinary medicine, which mind you, is very little. But I know the challenges of being able to even qualify to get into vet school. So would you say, like, through your education and academics, was veterinary school 
what you expected or was it something completely different? So I consider myself very fortunate. I had an older sister that's a vet too. So I guess you could say I copied her. That's what she would say. But she did a good job at informing me what vet school was. So I knew it was hard, but it was still harder than I imagined. For example, like before you get into vet school, you have to do undergraduate studies. So just chemistry, physics, math, same like you would for med school or dentistry. And that was challenging by no means, but vet school was a whole different level. And if you think of it, it's it's only a four-year program, but you are learning all species. Like I had to study fish, poultry, dogs, cats chickens. (laughs) So it was definitely challenging learning all the species, for sure. (laughs) I could only imagine that amount of information like crammed into four years. It seems like just so much knowledge that uh, people are coming out with through vet school. And I would just imagine like it would cause some burnout and some mental anguish as well as the physical anguish of your body. Yes, yep, definitely. And I did touch on the the physical demanding part of large general medicine, and I'm careful to say I don't think there's any difference in sexes, right? We have tools now that a woman can do just as much as a man, but it's just the actual, like, being awake on call during calving season around the clock when the phone doesn't stop, and you're outside and the elements often doing the job. So it's, it's exhausting no matter no matter what your sex or how strong you are. Yeah, for sure. You can help support the stories of women in agriculture to be shared through the Rural Woman podcast on Patreon. What is Patreon? It's a membership-based platform that helps fund and support creators like me to create and produce content like this that you all love. New to the Rural Woman Podcast Patreon is ad-free listening and patron-only bonus content and exclusive episodes. Learn more and join the patron gang today at patreon.com slash the Rural Woman Podcast. So, Natasha, for the listeners who are listening who, you know, are inspired to go to vet school and want to be a vet, what would be the best piece of advice you could give them? I think if I could even advise my younger self is knowing that once you're out of vet school, knowing your worth, knowing that you did beat the odds getting into vet school and you're very educated and people should value as such. I think as veterinarians, lots of us are very empathetic and bleeding hearts maybe. So we often often do things maybe for free or stretch yourself too thin and knowing that you do have worse than you should put boundaries on yourself. Because you actually, Caitlin, mentioned the word burnout. And unfortunately, I have seen that probably myself in lots of my peers and my mentors. And I just think we have to protect ourselves from that because if you're burnt out, there's no matter how empathetic you are, you can't do your job anymore. And mental health is getting great awareness, which it needs to, but veterinary medicine is very severely affected by mental health crises compared to other professional programs. We're we're doing some work trying to talk about it and improve it, but it it is a reality, suicide and mental health crises in veterinarians. So anyone that deals with veterinarians, please be kind to them. We're often 
We're often very tired. <laughs> yes, I can only imagine. And that is great advice. Be extra nice to your veterinarian the next time that you see them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 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 yes. <laughs> so I want to talk more about what your career is now and what you're doing. So, you know, after these big world adventures, you mentioned that you came back and you were able to get your dream job. So is that what brought you back to Alberta or was there different reasons? Yes. Well, two reasons. So it was the dream job. When I was in the UK, I actually got approached by the clinic that I'm now working at for a job. But me and my now husband have been together throughout all of my travels. So he was probably the number one reason that I came back. He didn't come to the UK with me. He supported me in going, came and visited. I was gone for nine months. So bless his heart. I love him very much. He's very supportive. But that was probably the number one reason why I came back. And then it worked out that I got my dream job at the same time. So very blessed. That's great. <laughs> the dream guy and the dream job. That's a great reason yes. to come back to Alberta. <laughs> it was. Yeah. It was. Oh. I have to pinch myself still, to be honest. <laughs> That's so great. So tell us what you're doing now and where you're working. So I am a professional services veterinarian with Feedlot Health Management Services by TELUS Agriculture. So I'm now more of a consultant. So I still do field work. So by that, I mean doing sick cow examinations, working, touching the animals about one day a week. But otherwise, I'm at my computer. I'm working with data that company collects, analyzing it, and giving recommendations as a consultant. So <laughs> there's often less glorious things to post on Instagram for my computer, but I really enjoy it. It's really exciting. And probably my favorite part is after we analyze the data and present it to clients, that those teaching moments and interactions is where my passion is and I really enjoy it. So sometimes we're dealing with the owners of the feedlot, which are very, very successful business people, and often dealing with the crews, the cowboys and cowgirls, dealing with the animals every day. So it's very diverse. That is so neat. So what was it about this particular job that really drew you in? Yeah, so I have to go back. Before I was a vet, it was in my first year of vet school, I got a summer job at a feedlot in my hometown, which I was very lucky to have. So I was a pen writer. And the part that appealed to me at the time, for those that don't know, a pen writer is someone that basically checks the cows daily and treats them for any illness or just takes care of them. So you're on a horse in some feedlots. So that's what attracted me. I was like, oh my gosh, I can ride my horse all summer. How much better could it get? <laughs> Little did I know that through that job, I would get to meet the veterinarians from Feedlot Health and I got to see what they did. And it was then that I got really excited. They just were experts and they knew so much. And I really liked database decision-making and that's what they do. So they would, during that summer, I was there for four months. I think they showed up probably once a month and just taught us things, things that we could do different and what the owners and managers could do different. And it was at that point, I was like, I thought it was really cool working with the data and making decisions that way. That is very neat. And 
I don't know. Like, I think for people inside of agriculture, like we realize how much data and technology that we have at our fingertips to make food production that much more successful and profitable and all of these things. But I always think it's interesting for people outside of agriculture that kind of just think, well, farmers drive a tractor and put seeds in the ground or they feed their cows and send them to market kind of thing. But there's so much more that goes into it to create like a successful business in agriculture. Yes, that's a great point. Actually, I should even back up because right now I deal with feedlot people all the time. So this is normal. But for those not, even for my mother, she gets so shocked at what we do. So when I was a pen rider, if I found a sick animal, I would remove it from its home pen and take it to a hospital. And there I could scan an earring, a tag, and then on the computer system that we have beside the chute, everything comes up. So often it's birth date, the farm it originated from, the weight it came in, how much weight it's gaining daily, any product, like every single product it's gotten at the feedlot, when it got it, who gave it. And then I would take its temperature and weight and do a physical exam and enter that in. And so there's, there's nothing missed. Everything is recorded. And then that's how we make decisions. Yeah. That is so I still forget that that's not known to everyone. <laughs> well, let's talk more about what's not known to everybody when it comes to feedlots, because like you and I were chatting about before we hit record, where I'm currently located in Alberta, it's called Feedlot Alley. There are feedlots everywhere. So this is something that I get to see quite often, but there are people in Canada and the US and North America and all over the world that really aren't privy to know what happens in a feedlot. And it's interesting that you talk about your mother not knowing certain things about your job and all of the things. I swear I'm going to do an episode with my mother at some point for the Rural Woman podcast. And I'm going to just point out, like, plain ask her, what do you think I do for a living and see what she has to say? Because <laughs> sometimes I oh feel like God. she's a little confused still. <laughs> but Caitlin, talk- you need to do that. <laughs> right? I, I think it's a good idea. I think it's a good idea. I, I don't know if I'm going to tell her she's being recorded or not, because then that way it'll be the truth. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Anyways, nope. let's talk about, you know, the life of of a cow that goes through a feedlot, you know, start it from where the calf is born to where the calf ends up. I'm interested to hear this from you as a person who works in the feedlot industry. For sure. It's quite easy to think about because it's still seasonal in Canada where we are. Mostly, not all, but most baby calves are born on their home farm in the spring. So right now we're in the thick of it. We call those people cow-calf producers. So they have the mama cows, the bulls, and they make the babies. And usually the young calves are on their moms throughout the summer because that's when we have grass. So that's kind of the easiest way to feed the mom and the baby. And then once the calf is old enough in the fall, usually when the grass dries up, that's when they're weaned. So they're weaned off their mom. And some people will keep them on their farm and feed them there. But lots of people send them to feedlots. So they all come together and that's where they're fed until the final stage of beef production, which is harvest. So that feedlot stage is the the calves being fed a diet in Alberta, lots of corn or barley. And then they're to their finished weight, we call it, which is what we want to consume as consumers. And then they're harvested at the slaughter plant. See, it seems pretty simple to me. But there are some people who are very confused about how the cows got there and all of the things. So, 
not to not to call my mother out but you know we've had some pretty interesting conversations I'm like how do you not know that but then again I remember there are people outside of agriculture that are not versed in where their food comes from and I myself was one of them <laughs> yeah no and I oh, I just think that's awesome that you you came from there and now what you're doing with your podcast is wonderful I really respect that Thank you so much. I appreciate that. So, you know, being a part of the feedlot industry, I know there are a lot of, you know, misconceptions that can come out of it. So in your opinion, what would you say are some of the biggest misconceptions that you hear as a veterinarian when it comes to feedlot management? So probably the biggest one that most people see is the different marketing schemes, right? The different types of beef that we can buy, organic, grass-fed, from the farmer's market or from Walmart or Costco. So one of the biggest misconceptions I feel like is conventional raised beef. So the most common that you buy at the big grocery chain is lower quality than what you would buy in a farmer's market or different different marketing schemes. So even though it's conventional, I will attest that it's still safe, high quality, and the people producing it, which I'm one of them, still care about that product and animal welfare and antimicrobial use, all of those things. So by all means, um, I don't discredit different marketing schemes. I think everyone should have a choice and they do do some wonderful things, but you don't have to be concerned about buying it from a conventional grocery store. It's still a great product with great people behind it. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing that I know I hear a lot from consumers are, you know, their fear of antibiotics or steroids in their meat. Can you talk a little bit about that fear for them? Yes, yes, yes. So probably first, I'll talk about the hormones. So there is products that we give animals, they're implants, and they they go underneath the skin and they're a little pellet that gets absorbed slowly into the body and it makes the animal more efficient. So it essentially decreases their footprint. They grow just as much or faster with less feed. So we can do more with them. But the amount of hormones is very, very negligible and almost none. And I wish I could quote the figures. There's fantastic graphs out there. But the one or two or three pellets that they get throughout their life is so much smaller than what a woman's birth control pill would be, which I've taken almost every day of my adult life. (laughs) And even Brussels sprouts, for example, naturally contain more hormones from the plant than that implant that we give to the animal. And the second part is there, there is huge, huge effort by the federal government, CFIA, the slaughter plants, the people at the feedlot, making sure that those levels after the implants are lowest as possible before they enter the food chain. And there's so many checks and balances on the feedlot. We're always checking that animals going for slaughter don't contain too high. And then at the plant as well, they're being tested for that. So yeah, be rest assured that there, there's no risk and the amount of hormones in there is actually less than you would, you would consume from other things. For sure. Well, and even the use of antibiotics in livestock, I know from my personal experience, which is very little, but when I had a sick calf, I had to give her antibiotics to help make her feel better. And even reading the label on the bottoms, there are withdrawal dates when it comes to giving a sick animal antibiotics. And then 
you know, the withdrawal date for them to, if they were to go to slaughter after that. So can you talk a little bit more about antibiotics and withdrawal dates? Yes. Yeah, of course. Our government (laughs) does everything possible to keep us safe from such things as antimicrobials. So every product that we use in Canada has to go through a very rigorous licensing process. And with that, after lots of trials and lots of money spent, they come with a date called a withdrawal date. And that's after how many days must pass from when an animal receives the treatment that it can enter the food chain. And those things are followed to a T and they must be followed by producers because like I said, they're tested in the plant. So if mistakes happen, so someone gives an animal a sick animal antibiotic and then it goes to the plant by mistake, they catch it there. So it doesn't enter the food chain. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I I have lots of confidence in that. (laughs) Yeah. And as as well as I, and like you mentioned before, you know, it doesn't matter if your beef has a fancy label on it or if you bought it direct from from a producer, there was care for that animal somewhere in its life. And the way that I always kind of look at it, it's just like these animals live a life that they were designed for. They, you know, they come into the world on their grass. And if they end up in a feedlot, you know, they're fed and watered every day and there's care for them every day to make sure that they are well. And then they move on to feed families across the world. So I just think that, you know, for the people who are producing food, I honestly believe that people are doing the best they can with the knowledge that they have. Yes, I echo that so much, Caitlin. And the progress we've made in even the conventional beef with animal welfare and antimicrobial use we're constantly improving every day so I, and i think it's something yeah that we're all should be proud of <laughs> yes absolutely well i think you know we're from alberta so we are proud to produce alberta beef here <laughs> <laughs> yes yes very much <laughs> and may i say it tastes dang delicious <laughs> Yes, I'll have to have a steak after this, talking about it. Yeah, my mouth is already watering for it. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to go back to kind of your day-to-day tasks and your operations. You talked about collecting data that you're sharing with producers. Can you tell us what type of data that you are collecting and presenting to the owners of the feedlot or other veterinarians and that kind of thing? So I'm a veterinarian. I'm on my company's animal health team. But within our own company, we also have nutritionists, market analysts. So they collect a lot of different data. But the data that we collect is specific to health. So the main things is how many sick animals are being treated a day. And of those sick animals, we look at their temperatures, their weights, what diseases they're actually getting sick of. The, the list is long. And then on that, the, the feed team will be measuring how much those animals are eating and how much they're growing daily. The inventory, how many animals are in each pen and the, the turnaround time. So absolutely everything you can think of is probably being recorded. <laughs> oh, um, on the animal health team, the biggest things we look at is morbidity and mortality, so sickness and death. And then diving right into the, to know the specifics, such as when they're getting sick, what animals are getting sick, what diseases, and obviously trying to decrease both. That's, that's my job, decrease sickness and death. Yes, well, that's a good job to have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we don't want either of those things. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> 
Well, and it's so interesting to have this data and then to be able to share that with a larger team like you have. And even like in nutrition, is there something that you can change in the animal's nutrition that would help, you know, decrease the amount of sick animals and that kind of thing? Like, I just think to have that data is so incredible to have all of this wisdom and knowledge to be able to kind of tweak things here and there to create, you know, a healthy, strong animal. Exactly. Yep. And a thing that I often tell myself, I've heard it by others many times, you can't improve what you don't measure. Right. That's why we essentially measure everything. And another cool thing about our company is I'm located in Okotoks, Alberta, Canada, but we have clients all over the world, which we collect data from. So our database is very powerful. We have lots of clients in the States, Mexico, Kazakhstan, South Africa, all over. So it's a very exciting place. That is so cool. That's so cool. And you know, (laughs) not everybody is a big like numbers nerd or anything, but I personally think data can be sexy. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) I know Instagram doesn't think so. Like no one wants to see pictures of spreadsheets, but it is pretty sexy. I agree. Yeah. Well, it has been so good, Natasha, chatting with you today. You are a wealth of knowledge when it comes to the health of cattle and feedlots and all of the things. Is there anything that you would like to leave the listeners with today that we haven't already discussed? Oh, just that agriculture is a great place to be. It's just that simple. Um, You're part of a great community, a great history. Um, right. Farmers have been around for so long and to be a part of that is amazing and it's exciting. It's very, very exciting going forward. Right. I think it's so true. And you mentioned this, like there's just been so many advances when it comes to agriculture over the last 50, 100, 200 years. All of these, like all of the data that we have now and all of the improvements that have been made. I just think that agriculture is a really exciting place to be. And I'm excited to be a female in agriculture with the likes of Dr. Natasha. (laughs) Thank you, Caitlin. (laughs) Yes, I could not agree anymore. All the women on your podcast, it's an incredible community to be a part of. For the listeners who would like to connect with you after the show, where can they find you online? Oh, for sure. Um, Probably the easiest is Instagram. So um, my name, my family calls me as Natoosh, so N-A-T-O-O-S-H dot vet, V-E-T. That's my handle. Perfect. (laughs) Or Facebook with my personal. Okay. I will link those in the show notes for you so people can find you and connect with you. Natasha, my last question for you is what is the most rewarding part about being a veterinarian for you? Hands down, it's the people that I get to work with. And by people, I mean the owners of any farm, the laborers, everyone involved in it. I often laugh. It's no surprise to me that Hollywood has really glamorized the cowboy way of life from John Wayne to now Yellowstone. Like, not everyone in egg is cowboys and they don't always portray it perfectly. But I think the characteristics of those people are the same. I don't know if it's the resiliency or the respect for mother nature, but the people is what what makes my job wonderful. That is perfect. Well, thank you again so much for coming on the podcast today and sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Caitlin, for reaching out. Special opportunity. 
I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Dr. Natasha Kutrick. If you're looking to hear more from our conversation, we did record an extended episode available for the patrons of the Rural Woman podcast, which is available now. Natasha and I dive in a little bit more about how her and I met virtually this past year and a conversation uh, that I think is really important that we have about the statement, it's not what you know, it's who you know, and uh, how we how we feel about that statement. So uh, it is available for patrons of the podcast at tier 10 or higher. So if you're looking to support the show as well as get audio bonuses such as that, as well as my patron exclusive podcast, maybe you can relate, you can head on over to patreon.com slash the Royal Woman podcast to learn about supporting the show through Patreon. One last thing I want to leave you with this week is If you are listening to the Royal Woman podcast on Spotify, I'd like to encourage you to check out the playlist that has been built around Positively Farming Media. Positively Farming Media is a hub for podcasters in the food and agriculture space to share the stories of our great industry. We've recently put together a playlist from our Mastermind members on Spotify, where you can listen to all of the amazing stories that are being shared. So if you're on Spotify, click on that little search tab and type in Positively Farming Media. Give the playlist a like, and you will get all of the amazing podcasts each and every week straight to your listening device. For more information, you can head to the link in the show notes for Positively Farming Media. Thank you all again so much for tuning into this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast, and we will see you back here real soon. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast. A special thanks to our Patreon executive producer, Sarah Reedner of Happiness by the Acre, and to my editor, Max Hofer. For show notes, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com. You can connect with me on social media using the handle at wildrosefarmer on all platforms. If you love the show, make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts, plus share it with a friend. We'll see you next time. Caitlin Dubin, the host of the Rural Woman Podcast, and Bev Ross, host of the Joy Farmer Podcast, have teamed up to create Positively Farming Media. Positively Farming Media is a podcast hub that connects and cultivates growth-oriented farm and food storytellers. We host a mastermind mentoring group that fosters connection and collaboration between podcasters so you no longer have to produce your show within a silo. Each month in our member-only online community, new learning modules are released that are designed to increase your show's quality, listenership, and advertising opportunities. When you join today, you'll have access to the current month's modules and our previously released modules so you can start growing your show right away. Learn more and start building connections to fellow podcasters in the food and agriculture space at PositivelyFarmingMedia.com.